Good evening. I extend Christian greetings to you this evening. Uh, since, since I retired in April, I no longer serve on the Peak Council in the day-to-day operation of the church and attend those meetings. So when Brother Samuel made that announcement Wednesday evening at the Bridgewater home that the ministry was going to be on the phone deciding what to do, about this conference, I wasn't, of course, involved in that phone call. And on the way home, my wife said, well, you know, you had meetings over at Bethesda in September. You could help them out. I said, probably. But I said, listen, I am not calling them. I am not offering if I said, if God wants me to be here this weekend, the peak minister will call me. And do you know what? Seven o'clock the next morning, Brother Dave was on the phone. And I knew what he was calling for. And so when he called me, I sidetracked him a little bit, but that didn't work. <laughs> so I appreciate your all's prayers, and uh, I hope. As we look into the book of Philippians, we can be blessed, and uh, I just want to be your servant and just hope we can relax. And You know, usually you have a speaker from another congregation out of the area. In fact, my wife and I are. We, we just got in from Pennsylvania this afternoon, so we are from out of the area. Um. So, Brother Clinton, I'm going to have a, some comments and opening on, the, on chapter 1, and then I want the message of the evening will be based on chapter 2, so could we have a song after I'm done with chapter 1? So, this is a Bible conference, right? So, what does that mean to you? Uh I'd like it to mean something to you, so what I want to do is I want to go down each row here this evening and come up each row here, and I want at least one person on each bench to commit to reading the book of Philippians in one setting at home. Will that work? Okay. I want one, and more than one can respond, but I want at least one on every bench that will read the book of Philippians at home this weekend. So we'll start here on the first bench. Okay, Jamie, second bench, two. Wow, we're doing good. Next bench, next bench. Okay, next. All right, next. Okay. Good, great. Last bench, wonderful. Okay, in the back. Okay, good. Next bench. Okay, I'm losing count here. Where's our bench here? Where are we at? Okay, Roger's bench. Okay, next. Okay, up here and here. Wonderful. I really appreciate that. You're, all those that raised your hand, you're going to read the book of Philippians at home this weekend. That means by the time you get here tomorrow evening, you're going to have done your homework. 
That's wonderful. Okay. Principles for Christian living. And uh, I suppose you know what principles mean. It's just simply uh, the maybe the foundations or the... In Christian living, we could say it's 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 the kind of Christian being a Christian, the knowledge that a Christian has, and the conduct that a Christian has, and of course that's that's based on our messages this weekend. This evening we're going to be looking at the pattern. Of course, the pattern is Jesus Christ, and then tomorrow morning, hopefully, we will be looking at the prize which ultimately is heaven, and then tomorrow night is the power to go claim that prize. And uh, if you want a theme verse for the weekend from the book of Philippians, we could use uh, Philippians 121, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And, and you can just feel the Apostle Paul saying that, just... Uh, that was his life, and, and that was his motivation. And Galatians 2.20 expounds on that verse. It says, For I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, not yet I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. And so that's just, a, I would say, a fuller commentary on the verse in Philippians. And remember that Paul is in prison when he's, when he's writing this book. And, 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 the, and the phrases and the words that you find in here, it's astounding to think about that he was in prison. Of course, he was under the inspiration, of course, of God. <clears throat> And I just want to pick out a few verses here in chapter 1. And uh, Brother Jay read some verses from chapter 1, I believe, for devotional back in uh, our centennial Sunday. And uh, he, he in verse 3, he, of course, as he does in a lot of his letters, he's thankful for those that he writes to. And um, have you ever run on to a peak member in the, oh, at Walmart? Are, are you thankful for that opportunity? Or do you see them and you slip down the next aisle and hope they don't catch you? You see, we, we should be happy. We should enjoy that when, when we see one of our members in another part of of, of town or society or, or wherever. It should warm our hearts. It should bless us. And we should actually go out of our way to meet them. And maybe you have a word of encouragement for them. And see, he says in verse 6, Being confident of this very thing, he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it unto the day of Jesus Christ. And so we that are saved that we have claimed the blood of Jesus and we are living a victorious Christian life, we can have that confidence when we get discouraged. Don't, don't let discouragement overwhelm you because God is going to uh, 
accomplish the end of what he has begun in you. And it, it, it'll take a lifetime. Right, yeah, it's going to take a lifetime. But he's going to accomplish that. And in verse 11 says, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Christ Jesus unto the glory and praise of God. And that's a further outworking of the good works he's talking about up in the verse I just read. Now, verse 12, Paul is, is maybe including the fact of all the hardships he's placed in life that were placed on him in life and also the fact that he's in prison but he says, I want you to understand that the things which happened unto me here in verse 12 have fallen out rather under the furtherance of the gospel. And that's a perspective we need to keep in mind that when we have hardships, disappointments, and failures, and, and it just seems like everything keeps going wrong and, and things go from bad to worse, but Paul is recognizing that in his personal experience, the gospel was blessed, the gospel was spread, or the gospel was magnified. And, you know, and that's, that's the mindset we need to have, but it's not always easy. And verse 20 says, According to my earnest expectation, my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness, as always so now, also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether in life or in death. And, and whatever we, we are experiencing. <clears throat> and one verse yet from uh, chapter 1. Verse 27, it says, Let your conversation, or as it becometh the gospel of Christ, or let me read it from another version, it says, Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. And I think that's a challenge. And maybe we could say that's a broad principle of of a Christian living is that whatever happens, good or bad, you see, good can can be bad. See, if 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 we're so blessed and we're so honored and we're so privileged and and God just through the circumstances of the day or the situation you prosper materially maybe, and hopefully spiritually. But he says, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of Christ. And so that can be a depressing thing or that can be an exalting thing where pride takes over. And pride is not worthy of the gospel of Christ. And, And that's a challenge. So with that, shall we sing, and then we'll begin with the pattern of Christian living. Okay, now for the pattern. I don't think... 
I need to explain a whole lot what a pattern is. The ladies know that when they sew their dresses. And a lot of times men in their projects have a pattern that they go by in various uh, aspects. So I remember when, when our oldest son, Lyndon, was in the welding shop in high school, we had a hand crank on our wood stove in the basement, and it broke, or part of it had broke, and I, I gave it to Lyndon, and I said, now you go to your welding class, and I want you to make a handle just like this one, except it's not broke. And so he did. He took it as a pattern. He went to the welding class and made a new one. And he come home with it. And the first thing I saw, the handle was crooked. Well, he said, you said, make it like the old one. And I didn't think about that the handle was bent. But the part was broken wasn't the handle. It was the part that fit over the... uh, the grates on the stove. But he went into detail and made the handle just as crooked as the original. <laughs> See, he was following my pattern. And uh, that, that's what a pattern is for. See, I, see I, in my mind, I was thinking he would make the handle straight, wouldn't make it crooked. But, but he, he, he did that, so... And so Jesus Christ is our pattern, but we can't imitate Jesus in the fullest sense. And that's what people try to do today. They try to imitate Jesus, but we need, it needs to come from within. We need the power of the Holy Spirit within us to be like Jesus. I mean, it's, it's fine to, to, to uh, read the Word and, and, and in a sense maybe imitate Him, but, but He is our pattern, but, but it's greater than that, that, that He has the power of the Holy Spirit within us that we can live like He lived. And you've probably heard me say this before. If you want a one-word definition for Jesus, it's just simply the word others. And we'll get into that in here in chapter 2. It's because of others that he left heaven. It was because of others that he had his ministry here on earth. It was because of others that he suffered on the cross. And it's because of others that he's at the right hand of the Father right now interceding for you and me. And if we can get that concept, you know, when we approach our day, do we have the focus on others or is it on ourself, our agenda, and the busy things we have to do? You know, one time I was talking to a man on the phone and he was telling me, how busy he was. He was telling me how far behind he was in all of his work, and it was just really bad. He was just so far behind. And I said, wait a minute, wait a minute. 
I said, are you in God's will? And, and that cut him. He, he got sore about that. He didn't like that. And later I called him and apologized. And he, he made up. But, but yeah, he, he didn't like that. That I challenged him if he was in God's will to be so far behind all the time. You know, I think realistically we all have times when we get behind. But I don't believe it's God's will for us to, to uh, be to that point. It's like I heard someone make, have this testimony that she made this um, observation that I can do God's will every day. See, when I lay down at night, I can say or, or be at peace that I have done God's will today. Now, that doesn't mean you got everything done that you wanted to do. Now, that doesn't mean you got everything done everybody else expects you to do. But you can be content that you did God's will today and, and leave it and not wrestle. And I think that's, that's, that's a good pattern uh, to, to think about. Okay, now, this, it, as we get into uh, the uh, second chapter here, uh, it, it talks about... The, uh, verse 5 said, Let this mind be within you which was also in Christ Jesus. Have you ever thought about what, what was the mind of Christ like? And uh, if you, uh, and, and <clears throat> the um, Ephesians 6 talks about the armor of God. And I don't know if you've ever thought about it, but. Or, or what's the most important part in the armor of God? And I heard a preacher say one time that the helmet of salvation is the most important part of the armor of God. And if you think about it, I think he's right. Because the helmet of salvation is, uh, as it says here in verse 17 of Ephesians 6, says the helmet of salvation... And he said, you can't think right, you can't think rationally, unless you have on the helmet of salvation. In other words, you've got to be saved. And then, and then it says, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Isn't that beautiful? You have the helmet of salvation, and you have the sword of the Spirit. And if, if, you, don't, if you don't have what that verse says, the rest of the armor is worthless. Because you don't know where to put the shield of faith. Against the fiery darts of the evil one, unless you have the helmet of salvation to give you direction. Okay, let's go back to uh, Philippians uh, and read verses uh, 1 to 16 of Philippians 2. And think about the humility of Christ. If therefore be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels of mercy, fulfill ye my joy, and that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind. Let nothing be done with strife and vainglory, but in lowliness of mind let each other 
esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. And let this mind be in you, which is also in the mind of Christ, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made of himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of his servant and was made in likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and he became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Whereof God hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord to the glory of God the Father. Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but also which much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is of God which worketh in you both the will and to do in his good pleasure. Do all things without murmuring and disputings, that ye may be blameless and harmless the sons of God without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and a perverse nation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding forth the word of life that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. So, you know, in the, in the beginning of this chapter, Paul points out that we need to be like-minded and of one accord and esteem others better than themselves. So in a practical way, that puts the needs and the concerns of others ahead of ourselves. And that's like Jimmy Carter said when we was in his Sunday school class. He was commenting on the Sermon on the Mount. And he said, can you imagine going the second mile for an enemy soldier? See, he was, he'd been president of the United States. And, and going the second mile for an enemy soldier, he said, that's a hard saying. He didn't refute it and say it was impossible, but he recognized it was a challenge. And what we're looking at here right now is a challenge to us in the flesh to have that perspective of others' needs and things ahead of ourselves. I heard one man say, uh, he put it, he said, well, if I don't look out for myself, nobody else will. Well, and he may have been right. And I don't believe he knew God. And so he was looking out for himself. And I didn't really know him. He, he, he just was somebody in passing made that comment. And Jesus is the perfect example, as I said before, of others. And in this passage here momentarily, I want to look at the seven steps that Jesus in his humility took. So in, in verses 1 to 4... You know, he in verse he talks about one accord, one mind. And so here's some questions. 
How can we do that in our day? You know, is there room for differences of opinions? Didn't God make each one of us different? And He did. And that's why, that's the very reason that we need the mind of Christ to bring us together, as He talks about here. And verse 3 tells why we can't. See what it says? Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory or, you know, selfish ambition or conceit. Because Paul, I believe, recognized that through the Holy Spirit. And he's, he's telling us how important humility is. <clears throat> So the last part of verse 3 talks about lowliness of mind and esteeming others better than ourselves. And so if we can conquer verse 3, then we, we are well on the way of following Jesus as our pattern. And so let's just think a little bit about the mind of Jesus and, and in the Gospels. Matthew... 11, 28, and 29, Jesus says, Come unto me, all ye that labor, and I will give you rest. What do you think was motivating that? See, he, he was thinking about us in our humanity, how we wear out, we get discouraged. And, and he was... He was thinking of our welfare, I believe, to come to him and to cast our burdens upon him. And, and don't carry those burdens. It's good for us to have concerns, and it's, I believe it's good for us to have burdens. But I believe Jesus, the mind of Christ, he's telling us to bring his burdens to him. And what does that tell us? If we're, he's telling us here in Philippians that we need to have the mind of Christ. And so if we see other people that are having burdens, and God through his Holy Spirit might draw us to that person to, to help them with their burdens. See, Jesus is our pattern. Like C.A.M. told us one time when my wife and I was on an assignment, they said, you... Go out and you talk to the homeowner and you talk to the homeowner's neighbors and anybody else that the Spirit draws you to. Okay? So one afternoon we was riding down the road and I saw a homeless man over by the woods sitting on an office chair. And, and we had snacks and water we carried with us on that particular assignment. So I grabbed some snacks and got out and walked across, to, and he come to meet to meet me. And I said, "Here's some snacks." He said, "I don't really need any snacks." He said, "What I need is water." I said, "I'm sorry, we ran out of water. Only thing I have left is a half a bottle I'm drinking on." He said, "I'll take it," and I gave it to him. You know, 
You know, it, do we are we open to other people's situations? And, I, and I'm 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 a poor one to talk. My wife does much better than, than I do in that, sensing other people's needs and burdens. And then in in John 15, he says about laying down your life for a friend. That's from the mind of Christ. Maybe I should just turn to that quickly and read that. John 15. Chapter 15. 13 and 14 says, Greater love hath no man than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. Ye are my friends if you do whatsoever I command you. And Jesus was getting ready to lay down his life. And, and you can take that wherever you want to go with it. And then Matthew 26. We're still thinking about the mind of Christ. Matthew 26, 39 says, This is Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. It says, He went a little farther. He fell down on his face praying, Oh, my Father... If it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. See, the mind of Christ. He was in the midst of suffering, agony, and torture. But yet, he was committed unto the Father. At his will. That's the mind of Christ. Romans 15 2 is in this vein of thought. Let every one of us please his neighbor for his good to edification. Sometimes we're tempted to please our neighbor what's the most convenient thing to us to do for our neighbor. But he says we should do what's in the best interest of the neighbor for his edification. And verse 5 says, Be like-minded one toward another in Jesus Christ. Now back to Philippians 2. Let's look at the seven steps that Jesus took in his humiliations. Step number one, he left heaven's glory. And you know, if you concentrate on that and think about that, what does that really mean? How how do you think Jesus felt about that? Leaving heaven's glory, his position there with the Father in total bliss. and, 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 And you know, we don't all know what heaven's like. We have some ideas, but in our human limitations. But Jesus... That was his first step, I believe, according to, to these steps in this passage that, that he took in, in a descending order. And then step number two, and these are, this is based on verses six to eight. Step number two, he made himself of no reputation. 
In other words, he didn't come to the Father and say, I want you all to know that I'm the son of of the great God that uh, created the universe and I'm in my position as at his right hand. No, he took... He let he emptied himself of everything, and it didn't matter where he was born or where he was raised or nothing. He just laid everything down and left heaven. Step number three, it says that he took on the form of a servant by choice, and that's And that builds on step number two, as I was saying, that he was of no reputation. And he was born to a peasant family and served others. Then step number four, he was made in the likeness of man. And where did man come from? He come out of the dirt. Man was created from the dust of the earth, and here Jesus is going going down to that. It's amazing. Now, this, and he's our pattern. Do you hear that? He is our pattern. And then, step number five, as I have it listed here. And you find that in verse 8. That he humbled himself after he by choice became a, a servant and, by, and was, took on the likeness of man. Then he even humbled himself. And you know what our problem is a lot of times? We let circumstances and other people humble us. We don't do it by choice. And shame on us. See, maybe maybe if we did it by choice, the others wouldn't happen to us as much. And then <clears throat> number six, it says he became obedient unto death. And I like the way it lists it in John. Chapter 10, becoming obedient to death. John uh, 10, 15 says, The Father knoweth me, even so I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Another, that, that's part of being obedient unto death. Verse 17 says, <clears throat> Therefore doth my Father love me, because I lay down my life, that I might take it again. And verse 18, I think, is a significant verse. You should remember that no man taketh it from me. In other words, the Roman soldiers, those that scourged him and crucified him, did not overpower him. It says that he laid it down myself. He says, I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. And that's exactly what happened. 
And then step number seven, even the death of the cross for others, a disgraceful death. And so an overview from the highest glory to the lowest place of humiliation. Then verse 9 is a hallelujah. You know, it's, it's a turning point. It says, God highly exalted him and given him a name above every name. And Revelation 5.12 talks about Jesus being exalted. It says, um, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power, riches, wisdom, strength, honor, and glory, and blessing. And it goes on to talk about every knee shall bow in verse 10. Verse 11, that Jesus is Lord. I want to point out a verse in John 17, which is so typical of Jesus and his pattern to us of his humility. In John 17, okay, in the first part of the chapter, John 17, Jesus prays for himself, then he prays for his disciples. And then he prays for all believers. That's kind of an overview of John 17. But notice what verse 22 says. The glory, he's he's, he's praying to the Father for all believers. In verse 22, he's talking to the Father. He said, the glory which thou gavest me, I have given to them. Can you imagine that? Jesus isn't selfish. All the glory that the Father put on him, he wants to share it with you and me. And that's what he says right here in verse 22. That I have given them that they may be one even as we are one. That should just bless you as you meditate on the concept in that verse. That all that Jesus went through, you you could say in a sense that Jesus earned his place by the Father, by his life, suffering, diligence, whatever you want to say. But he wants to share it with you and me. And that's what's going to happen eternally. We'll be in his presence in heaven, sharing all those joys. Let's back to Philippians 2. Now remember, you can turn your clocks back, so don't get antsy. you got a whole hour. Philippians 2. I'll, I'll soon let you go. Philippians 2, verse 14 says, Paul is admonished them to do all things without murmuring and disputings. And this is after he talked about Jesus' humility and Jesus' glory. And that we can have a part of that. That you may be blameless, harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom you shine in lights in the world.
If we can just hold on to this concept that we can be a pattern, we can pattern our lives like Jesus, I believe he's saying here that we're going to shine in the world as the world gets darker and darker. May God bless you.